Tyler Smiley. And I'm John Morrison. And this is the Rooted and Grounded Podcast. Rooted and Grounded creates theological content to grow the church in our knowledge of God in order that we would grow in our love for Him and for our neighbor. You can check out more at rootedandgrounded.co. You know what I just noticed, John? What did you just notice? That Root and Grounded creates theological content to grow the church in our knowledge of God in order that we would grow in our love for Him. You're intentionally equating church with us and we, are you not? Yes. See, we're always learning from you. That's just <laughs> what I love about you. You're just these little, the, you, you've hidden these treasures and mm. everything, and we just get to mine them out. Well, I found another treasure on iTunes the other day. What was that? Do you know what the, our most popular uh, podcast so far has been? I don't. It was our interview with Zach. Was it really? Yeah. So it turns out people like us better when we're not the ones doing most of the talking. You know what we should do? We should interview people more often. I think that's a great idea. Hey, wait, hang on a second. Yep, I just saw somebody walk by in the hallway. I think we should get him to come in here and interview him. Hang on, let me get him. Yep. Yeah. Okay, we're going to do it. We're going to make it happen right now. Not planned. We're going to interview my dear friend. You shouldn't lie on a podcast. Alex Gailey. Alex, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to be here. Just happened to be walking by and here you are, Tyler. You and John sitting here having a good time with mics. I thought I'd join in on the party. There it is. My story is verified. Really diminishes the time Robert actually walked by and we pulled him in and made him do a podcast, but it has actually happened. It has once. actually happened. Alex, we are so excited to have you on the podcast. And uh, you're a dear friend, a brother, a pastor. And would you just introduce a little bit about yourself and about your church so that our folks can, that many of them will know you already? But let's pretend there's someone there who doesn't know who Alex Gailey is. Who are awesome. you? Awesome. First off, man. I love you guys so much. Y'all have been such a sense uh, of encouragement, uh, a manifestation of God's grace in my life to draw me closer to Him. And I'm Alex Gailey, for those who do not know me. Um, I'm a pastor here in uh, Gainesville at a church called Sola City Church, and we planted Sola City out of Lakewood. Um, so this was a great thing, and, and this is one reason why you know we've got a good relationship is Lakewood sent us out because that's what the church does. That's right. We plant churches. Amen. That plant churches, that plant churches. So Lakewood was our sending church, and uh, our core team, man, we we were so blessed to be here for a season and just sit underneath the leadership and the teaching of the church and um, just be a part of what God's doing here at Lakewood. And out of the overflow of that, uh, that's where we were sent out to plant churches. So Got ordained here at Lakewood um, through the laying on of hands and built good relationships with guys. And what's so beautiful is uh, God put in my heart five years ago, hey, I want you to plant a church in a coffee shop because that's such a good place for relationships. Mm -hmm. It's such a good mm -hmm. place to uh, just be on mission, really, because of, you know, just the the spontaneity of of meeting people there. And God really put that in my heart. And little did I know that Lakewood would extend their ministry to Midland Station and invite me in to allow our church to be there uh, for this early period, infant stages of our church. So that's what we've been doing for a year. We launched January 7th, 2018. 
and uh, we are excited about what God is doing. It's it's really a great thing. We've seen people come to Christ. We have uh, we're actually doing another baptism this Sunday. Um, we've almost quadrupled in size, which I guess that's not really that big of a statement when you're only uh, made up of 12 members. But uh, we have quadrupled in size. Better than if you had started with four members, though. I mean, this yeah. is true. Yeah. So or three, then you'd only be at 12. Yeah, so we've sent our first missionaries to India, did that on our second Sunday, which is a kind of a unique challenge for us as a church. And uh, I think that we're a interesting church in Gainesville, and the reason why is because we are an inner city church that is reaching a demographic that uh, is doesn't have a lot of churches in it. Uh, and, and what I mean is just um, the poor in our city, the uh, socioeconomic diversity of 30501, we represent pretty well. And yeah, so that's kind of where we, we've been laboring. Uh, 30501 is kind of like our focus. We stay in that zip code do life in that zip code, work in that zip code, drink coffee in that zip code, all that. So, um, yeah, we, we planted a year ago, and by God's grace, here we are um, a year down the road and just looking at how he's been faithful to us. So that's a little bit about me. I'm, I'm married. Hold on. And you're married? Married. Been married to my beautiful bride named Jessie. Her name is Jessica Marie. That's what I call her. But uh, No, that's that's great. Yeah, so her name's Jessie. We got three kids, twin boys, Elias Judson and Elisha Patton. And uh, a little girl who is Ezra Willow, and yeah, I appreciate you doing all those names with the same starting sound, yeah. so that I confuse all of them. Yeah, every and, time. and on top of that, they're twins. And, so and you have twins. So you know it, it works. You just yeah. call them both Eli. You're good. Okay. Oh, or E. You just call all those kids E. It's okay. Everyone calls Elisha Elijah, and it's like literally my worst pet peeve that I have. Everyone thinks my child's name is Elijah. Okay. Well, I just want to go on record to say I am so confused at what your children's <laughs> actual names are right now that I may not call them. Okay. But you'll know that I adore them. Praise the Lord. Okay. I know that. And, hey, bud. Uh, yeah. hey, hey, bud. <laughs> hey, bud. And you had a few baptisms a couple weeks ago at the church, and you'll have another one this coming Sunday, which we're thrilled about. Yeah. And where does the name Sola City come from? So sola is a Latin word rooted in the Reformation, and it's associated with really the five hallmark truths that kind of came out of uh, the Reformation period in the uh, 15th, 16th century when the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church divided uh, from the moment Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses on the door of Edinburgh. And sola is a word that's associated with those five uh, truths. to the glory of God alone, sola means alone. So, uh, sola de gloria, de deo gloria, deo gloria. Okay, I looked at John for that because John is the church historian here. And <laughs> to be fair, Tyler is also a church historian. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> not yet, not yet, almost. Oh, he is. We're not there yet. <laughs> We're is. not there yet. Um. So yeah. Um, We're saved by grace alone. Grace alone through faith through alone. Faith. In Christ alone. In Christ alone, according to Scripture, scripture alone, alone. To the glory of God alone. Amen. And that word alone is uh, sola in Latin. Yes. For the most part. So we we s- thought it would be an appropriate name because we just wanted to be all about the gospel. And those five truths are, are the gospel in a nutshell. So that's kind of 
where the name originates from. And city, because we're planting in the city. That's right. So, Sola City. city. That's great. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks to Alex for writing an article that will be published very soon on rootedandgrounded.co. So, if you haven't ever checked out that website, now would be the time to pick up your phone and go. Great website, new logo. New logo, yeah. And it looks really sharp. Uh, Why... It just looks so good that I wish I could create all the things I do to look that good. But this one got a special look. It's really nice. You got to look it up right now on your phone. Um, So he wrote an article for the website, which uh, by the time of this recorded publishing, will that be published? Why don't we just Mm. say this? By the time anyone probably listens to this, that should be published. Because it could be a decade from now. When someone's listening to this for the very first time. That is true. And that if it's correct. a decade from now, we can guarantee you that his article has been published. Yes. If you're listening at the end of February 2019, it'll it'll be on the site. Okay. That's good. So, John, would you give us a little bit of an intro into the direction and the intent of that article? And and then we're gonna uh, we're gonna ask Alex some more questions about that. Yeah, so big picture, we're doing a series uh, right now with Rooted and Grounded through on church planting. So through Lakewood, we support a number of different church plants, and we just want to highlight highlight those, and also uh, just you know, give people a little food for thought on what sh- what church planting is and some of the different emphases uh, these different planters have. So one of the things Alex has felt led to do is to be a diverse church to plant in a way that highlights the um, bridge building power of the gospel or the wall destroying power of the gospel in his church and so that's what he wrote, wrote about how the gospel brings people who in worldly terms are utterly different how it brings them together in Christ and, and when you wrote on the topic of diversity did you did you intend a specific type of diversity in that question um, cultural for the most part. Okay. Yeah. I think, uh, in this particular topic, that's kind of where I was leaning in the article, but also, um, generationally as well. Um, education, socioeconomic is probably a good way to put it as well. So what all, yeah, just what all does that include for you when you're thinking big picture, but also in, right, you said you're focused here, city limits of Gainesville this particular zip code. Yeah. What kind of diversity does that mean? What, so, do, what do you find? What are the differences you're finding in this area? Yeah. So um, when we planted uh, one goal that we had in mind and, you know, we just, we prayerfully held this um, before the Lord and, and said, Jesus, we want to do ministry uh, in a way that encompasses all nations, all mm. cultures, all ethnicities. And we believe if we do that by God's grace, knowing your desire that all would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, that we would be a good representation of our city. So when you looked at our church over the course of a, a longer tenured period of time, we should represent our city well if we're doing ministry well among all groups. Mm-hmm. So... When you look at Gainesville, uh, I've heard a lot of different numbers as to the demographics, but numbers that I feel pretty comfortable with is uh, about 40 to 45% uh, uh, white. Um, 
about 50% uh, Hispanic and about 5 to 10% uh, African American. Um, and, you know, then you got the one or two, three or four or five percent of uh, just minorities uh, across the board. Um, so when we, you know, originally planted the church, we said, hey, we need to do ministry across across these social barriers. Well, I mean, you look you look out through the, the landscape of Gainesville and you see a lot of division mm-hmm. just in the geography and the the location of certain. Uh, cultural landmarks of the city. So you got St. John Baptist right over there off of uh, 129 if you're heading towards Athens uh, by Athens Highway. And that's really like, you know, a pocket of African-American community. Uh, and that's not all bad, but when you've got in our city represented two First Baptist churches, there's some brokenness there, and if, and if I'm honest. Um, so we saw that we said, hey, we see an all-encompassing vision of the gospel that really bridges these gaps and if we're doing ministry effectively in our zip code then we're going to represent it well um so we've intentionally sought after um different uh demographics through having ministry initiative focused towards them so Mm -hmm. we've got uh, really how we do most of our ministry is through gospel communities which is our uh our group ministry in homes um acts chapter 2 Verses forty-two through forty-seven is really a a foundational passage for us that we say, man, what the spirit the spirit's work looks like for us is for us to devote ourselves to the things it says in the passage. It starts and says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, the fellowship and prayer, and they met together in homes and signs and wonders were being done. And the Lord added to those numbers to 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 their number those who were being saved. So I think about that passage, and it's like, man, you know, we need to have smaller groups of people in homes, prayerfully considering what mission looks like for them, and them going out and doing ministry. And how we vision casted that is by um, saying, we want to represent our city well, so we want to see these groups mobilized uh, in the name of Jesus to proclaim the gospel among all people. So we found ourselves in a community called Lenox, which is predominantly African-American, uh, maybe 20 to 30 percent Hispanic. Uh, and then we found ourselves for the, probably the last five years. Five years ago, we uh, read the front page of the Gainesville Times, and on the front page it said there were two murders on West Avenue here in Gainesville within the past week. And it's as if the Lord said immediately, that's where you need to be. So five years ago, we went to this uh, road called West Avenue right next to IHOP, and uh, off of that road is a neighborhood called Rosecliff. It's a low-income neighborhood where you find a lot of illegal Hispanics, which, interesting enough, most of the Hispanics are all from the same state in Mexico, Michoacan. In Rosecliff? In Rosecliff. Hmm. So we've been there for, like I said, going on about five years now um, with a group of about 15 people just faithfully going out there, praying with people, sharing the gospel, doing a lot of kids' ministries, spending time with, with those families, and we've seen God do amazing things. And um, right now in our church, we've got a family from the Congo. Um, we've got uh, probably eight, at least eight different nationalities represented in our church. Yeah, it's amazing. And um, it's really cool. We're excited about what God's doing. And, and, and I think it is definitely a serious implication we need to consider as we think about how God's calling us 
to live as Christians. You mentioned that homes were strategic in your church. Is that also strategic in the diversity in inclusion of diversity in your church and promoting that among your church? 100%. And how, um, how is that? One reason why we believe homes are intentional is because we think that the ministry of hospitality is universal and breaks a lot of those cultural barriers. If we can create an an environment in our church that invites other people into our lives, regardless of our cultural assumptions, people see the heart and the love that we have for one another, and they can look past how we offend them culturally or how— um, we may be systematically oppressing, oppressing them um, in ways we don't even know. However, um, they're in our home. And what a forum to share the gospel when you're doing life on life with people. So if there's like a pastor or a church leader or someone who's uh, just a, a member of a church that, and they want their church to become more diverse in one of the ways that you've described, is that what you're going to encourage them to do first to begin having uh, diversity in homes or what, what is, how are you going to tell people to start helping their church become more diverse? So one of the first ways, um, assuming prayer, assuming prayer, one of the first practical ways that I think churches can, can seek diversity, especially in a city context. Um, I think this applies more to a city context than, than maybe more a rural area, but, in, in Gainesville, any like urban area, uh, semi-large or you know medium-sized city, um, one of the best ways churches can reach uh, a diverse group of people and, and see their church become diverse is by opening up their homes to their neighbor. That's one of the best ways because the reality is I'm sitting on Enoda Avenue and Enoda Avenue just within like a hundred feet of my house, there are multiple nationalities represented there. If I simply walk down the street and I bake cookies with my community group. I'll come. Yeah. I mean, my wife is an amazing cook. So, you know, I've got that going. Hospitality is easy when your wife loves to cook and is amazing That's at cooking. That's true. Because mm. then the people flock there, right? Um, Notice the distinct lack of cookies brought to the podcast, though. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was, <clears throat> who is the hospitality coordinator for Rooted and Grounded podcast? Uh, I believe it's Jessie Gailey has just volunteered, her oh. husband has just volunteered she just her. volunteered. Because, uh, I can't wait to tell her that she got spot. She got like a spotlight in the middle of the podcast. You mean she it's won't amazing. notice when she listens to it? She was planning on listening to it. Let me, let me thank track you, my thank you. Back. Yeah. <laughs> so let me just back up a little bit and say, for folks who are considering how your church may become more diverse, start with prayer. Mm-hmm. This is what Alex Gailey is saying. Start with prayer. Start with prayer. Ask that God would do this. Um, work on our own hearts first, probably, towards this. Yes. And consider how we may be part of it individually and personally. And then begin by having folks in your home. Mm-hmm. And I think you emphasize a really key point there, Tyler, when you say work on our own hearts, because the reality is um, true... Uh, relational openness and vulnerability cross-culturally is something that is really hard for us. And to say that um, that we are wide open to relationships with other cultures is 
probably a little naive of us. And the reason why I say that is because um, we don't realize the assumptions that we bring into relationships. And culturally, when you are dealing cross-cultural um, in relationship, interpersonal relationships, what you run into is uh, that the things that you assume about life and expectations you bring in communication or in, you know, like I said, relationships in general um, are, are really challenged and uh, they're questioned and there's a spotlight on them to say, is this really good or not? Um, and what I think is, is a beautiful thing is to have that in the church. But then also, you know, I, I'm just making the point that um, we need to ask Jesus to, to really show us where our sin is in these areas where we are systemic, systemically oppressing or we are um, not really wanting to be in relationship with other cultures, other ethnicities, uh, or uh, other social barriers like uh, socioeconomic class, you know, those, those type of things. So so given the challenge, given mm-hmm. the difficulty, why? why? Why do you feel called as a church, or you as an individual, to pursue this? Because by your own admission, it's hard, mm-hmm. and it's not a natural thing to want to do. Yeah, definitely. You know, and that that's a that's a very valid question because what we have a, probably all experienced um, in this room, and then those who are listening, is most experiences of church in the Bible Belt is a monocultural experience. Um, typically, we deal with religion in ethnic groups, and with that said. Um, as you trace the storyline of the Bible, there is one thing that is evident, and that is that the power of the gospel is to restore all nations to saving faith in God and consequently loving relationship with one another. And this gospel that we believe and we, and we profess changes the very dynamics of how we relate to one another. Um, you know, when you look in the Garden of Eden, one thing that is so obvious, and this is, this is expressed in the Garden through sexuality, there's complementarity in sexuality um, in that, you know, God made Adam and Eve different, yet they were, it was so needed that they be in relationship one, with one another to glorify God and fulfill their God-given responsibility uh, in worship. Um, but what happens there is sin enters in and it thwarts that, that community that they have with one another. Um, but what we see over the course of the next you know, 65 books of the Bible or 65 and a half books is um, we see this theme of God restoring all of that to where not only is there complementarity in sexuality, but uh, there's complementarity in uh, culturally that says we need one another to fully express uh, the beauty of our Trinitarian God and when you get to the end of Revelation, what you see is this beautiful picture in Revelation 7 where all nations and tribes and peoples and languages are represented before the throne of God. And literally it says that they're all standing together in the hallways of heaven saying salvation belongs to our God. And um, I am captivated by the grandeur of that vision in Revelation and the theme that all nations shall be blessed through you, Abraham, that's traced all through the Bible that culminates in the person and work of Christ. 
And it's so captivating to me that I believe that the church should pursue it now. It doesn't mean it's not going to be messy, mm-hmm. but it means that we are prophetically proclaiming that this is our reality as the church, that we are a church where all nations and tribes and peoples are represented before his throne and will be one day, um, even if we don't experience the fullness of that blessing now. So the precipice of when you begin to see that grand vision becoming a reality, I think for you would be in the person and work of Jesus Christ. 100%. So um, can I read Alex Gailey to Alex Gailey? Please do that. Let me read you to you. I don't know. You. I'm kind of nervous. Let me read you to you because I think this is a helpful uh, in that. And this is from your article. All that was lost was recovered in Jesus. God's promise that the nations would be blessed rang true as the stone rolled away from an empty tomb. There is a new and future reality awaiting us where all nations and people will be represented before him in beautiful fellowship with God and with one another. Before, we were incapable of true intimacy outside of Christ, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ, we are restored to our God-given image, reflecting abilities to... Uh, as John thirteen thirty four says, love one another. So you had this phrase in there that there is a new and future reality. Could you unpack that a little bit more? Sure. So, you know, throughout the Bible, we're seeing this beautiful picture um, of, you know, our hope now is rooted in eternity that there is a there's a coming day where Jesus is going to return and he's going to restore all things to himself and his kingdom is going to be enacted all throughout the earth and we're going to experience uh, God's real intentional design for humanity in its fullness and part of that design is seen in the concluding remarks of the Bible that say that there all nations are going to be together that um, we're not going to Uh, oppress each other or we're not going to hurt one another or slander one another in eternity, but we're going to celebrate our differences to the glory of God, to the glory of Jesus because of the blood of the Lamb, because what we have in the gospel unites us. There's this ultimate commonality that is underlying all of humanity now in Christ, and that's the future reality for the church, which has practical implications now for what we're working towards. Like, we're not working towards mono-ethnic uh, church population. We're working towards, like, a future all-encompassing where we're celebrating one another in in the beauty of the diversity. Um, because we look at God. I mean, God um, God is, in, in His Trinitarian relationship, you know, that's the that's one aspect of the beauty of God is His the, the diversity in the three persons there. Um, you're seeing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, how they interact with one another and their different roles and how that's celebrated in in who in who God is um, as a Trinitarian God. So how, you know, you're a church plant. Yeah. And just not only from your heart are you motivated to evangelism, there's also this survival part of your life where you need people in your church to keep the church going. You need to keep growing to survive. You're like a shark. Church planning is like a show. You got to keep moving. To, you got to keep moving. Start. Yeah. You often survive. hear thrive when you're talking about in public about church planning, but you don't often hear the public discussion of survive. Survive. But the reality is <laughs> day to day, 
That's you're it. trying to survive. That's it. The difficulties on yourself, your family, the church. And so there's there's a school of thought out there, which is probably true, that you can. It's a lot easier to grow a church or really anything if you just focus on a single group of people, or if you just try to find a big commonality where you could attract a lot of people. Mm, yeah. And so in some ways, your your desire, your model is harder to grow. At least humanly speaking, we'd say, we look at them and say, mm, that's going to be a lot harder. Like, it's going to be easier if I can get just a whole bunch of Georgia football fans together. Mm. We can watch the game together on Saturday. Yeah. And then, oh, I invite you to church. You come to my church. Yeah. And we have a lot to talk about. Just these easy avenues of commonality. So how would you respond to somebody that says, Alex, like, that's great, but you're just being, I'm really just being naive. Hmm. Like, it, you're not going to be able to grow a church that way, or it's going to be so much harder to grow a church that way. Why would you pursue this? Well, first thing I would probably say when you say you're being a little naive is, uh, I would probably agree with you. My paper uses this phrase called uh, holy naivete. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe that's something that God's kind of called us to, um, fighting back against the logic of the world and the wisdom of the world. We look at the cross and we see folly. And um, everything says the gospel is not true, yet we believe in Jesus um, in a very countercultural way. Mm. So while I I embrace a certain aspect of that, um, probably because I'm a young guy and I don't know what I'm doing, but, uh, in a, in a more holy sense, uh, I think I am naive in that. Like I believe in the power of the gospel, um, in the aspect of kind of what you started there with, of like, you know, thriving, surviving, um, those are real implications of church planning in this way, planting a diverse church. How are you going to make it? How are you going to survive? And what we see is diversity in the church is um, is so valued in our fellowship that it's something that we are willing to sacrifice for. It's something that we're mm. willing to, at the end of the day, lay down our preferences and our desires for comfort for the sake of, of pursuing this beautiful grand vision that we see in the Bible. And that's not easy. Um, it's really hard. And I'm sure we'll get into some of those problems, but um, it's a very hard reality to say, hey, we're going to be a diverse church because it's not popular. And it's, and it's not something that's very attractive. Because even this early on, a year in, we're experiencing some of the pushback of diversity because we don't know how to communicate cross-culturally. We don't know how to preach the gospel across culturally. We don't know how, you know, uh, Jesus's death on the cross radically impacts my African-American struggle of racism. We don't know how, I, I don't, you know, fully understand um, the gospel's implications for a Hispanic who is dealing with all the immigration issues right now. And those are things that we've had to face on a, a real level. Or one of the major things is like literal communication. You know, there's a family in our church from the Congo. They speak French. I do not speak French. Mm-hmm. And uh, John pas. knows John knows French. <laughs> was, de you were taught French by a... Well, the most 
most memorable one to bring out is yes. the the guy from Indiana, yeah. <laughs> which made going to Africa and trying to speak French to Africans. Wow. Uh, turns out they speak French in Indiana a little <laughs> bit differently than they do in yes. uh, West Africa. Wow. Uh, hey, I have a question, dude. On us, we'll get the challenges. Yeah. Uh, but so the flip side of that harder to grow question is: Has there been something attractive to people about this this diversity and say what? What is it that brings all these people together? Have you found it to have an attractional quality? At the end of the day, I want people to look at our community and see a supernatural element that says there's no reason why this group of people should be together. Mm. And There's no affinity that brings them together. There's, there's no, no experience. Com- there's no mutual... Com- yeah. Uh, there's no like present need. Uh, right. Yeah. So no, only- none of that. Only the blood of Christ okay. holds us together. And I do believe that's been attractive. Uh, there's a lot of unbelievers on the fringes even now who uh, would reject Jesus and Christianity in general, yet they're very intrigued by our community. Mm-hmm. And when we look at the Bible, even Jesus's words say, they will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. And you know, you can take that however you will. We We take that to believe loving one another is working towards this new humanity in Christ, which is diverse. All right. So we got to wrap it up because yep. you got to go write a sermon. Yep. Succinctly, give me the top three barriers that you face when you are pursuing biblical diversity in the church. Mm. Top three barriers, the top three things that you think make it the most difficult. I've already said one, uh, communication. Yep. Language. Learning how to communicate okay. well. You mean language and cultural communication? Just cultural, yeah. You Col- mean both? Yeah, I mean both across okay. the board, like learning how to communicate well okay. with just intergenerationally, yep. cross-culturally. Uh, the major emphasis, though, is definitely on cultural. Okay. Uh, two, leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the best ways for you to cultivate diversity in a church is having your leadership reflect that diversity. It allows you to take care of that first barrier of, of communication. Number two, it allows you to uh, understand people a lot better. And uh, the reality is, whether you're in Christ or not, um, there's a level of trust when you can identify ethnically, culturally, whatever it may be, um, that is there, that naturally creates a good relationship, especially in discipleship where there's a lot of vulnerability happening. Mm. Um, but with, with leadership, one of the issues there in leadership and why that's why it's a, it's a problem is you're constantly having to, uh, examine what your leadership qualifications are because leadership in the Hispanic community is going to look different than leadership in the white community and the African American community. Um, you've really got to examine those those hard and run them through a good biblical lens. And then finally, um, the one of the hardest problems is developing a philosophy of ministry that encompasses all cultures. How do we do ministry well across the board to all people groups, all nations, tribes, and tongues? Uh, and that's not easy. It takes a lot of time developing that. And my guess is to 
face these barriers, you would have to address them in just about every context that you have accessible to you as a church. So you'd have to do it in your preaching. You'd have to do it in your um, membership meetings. You'd have to do it in small group settings. You'd have to do it through your printed literature. You'd have to do it through programmatic ways. Yes. Through community involvement. For an example, et cetera, et cetera. you know, we have a lot of Hispanics that come that speak no English. We have uh, people who speak French. Um, they've got to have, they've got to be able to access our worship, our liturgy. You know, we're still trying to figure that out, and we don't have it figured out. So if you could pray for us, that'd be great. Amen. Well, it was great to talk to you today, Alex. Yeah, Thank you, you so much for taking the time, man. You're Thank a dear you brother. You're a good friend and a fellow co-worker, and we're excited about what the Lord is doing at Sola City. Praise the Lord. Uh, they can read more about this at rootedandgrounded.co, where the article will be published. And until then, we'll just look forward to tuning in next time. Thank you so much for your time, Alex. Thanks, man. Thanks, Alex.